Hey, real quick, I just wanted to let you know that Gabba Gabba Hunt is now a record store. Well, not really a store, but a booth at an antique store located in Eastridge Mall in Gastonia, North Carolina. Vintage Village is three stores down from Dillard's on the left. And my booth is on the left side of Vintage Village. It's the one with all the records. You can't miss it. I've got over a thousand records, toys, t-shirts, DVDs, VHS, all kinds of stuff there. So come check it out. Gabba Gabba Hunt Records and Vintage Goods located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolina's underground music scene. grunge is to like 60s garage yeah you know as it is to you to them yeah it's like it's 30 years ago now yeah that's why i said that yeah, i told him totally yeah i was like you're on that 30 year curve that's a pretty good curve to be on because when i was their age i was listening to stuff that came out 30 years before i was born yeah. i mean 30 years before i was listening to music or whatever mm-hmm. um so it's 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 good to be aware of the past and and you know still know what's going on today in music Without knowing your past, you can't figure out a way forward. If you don't know what people are doing today, you don't know if they're doing wrong, right? Yep, exactly. So I think it's cool. It's good. There's some kids in the scene that are playing music and they're playing interesting stuff. They're not following trends. They've latched on to me too, so that's good because, you know, I I want them to be involved in all this because I want them to do well. I want them to keep playing because I started when I was their age. And, you know, without that encouragement, yep. I might not still be doing it today. Yeah. I mean, how it's set up now, there are no all-ages clubs. So it's, I mean, there's Oso, I guess, but it's hard to get a lot of people out to these shows, especially in the younger crowd. And so we're not getting a new generation of kids to come in. So we really rely on having the old generation and the young generation kind of come together yeah, and play together and have shows together and things. Otherwise, that's separate blocks. Yeah. Not that big. And that's what I love about our scene is that we really do. We we mix it up a lot, not with just genres, um, but, you know, you you have kids in their, like, you know, 18, 19, 20 playing with bands of people in their, you know, late 40s, early 50s. And um, we all get along. We all support each other. It's kind of cool. I mean, I I would say there's still probably some division in the Charlotte music scene, but Mm -hmm. I think as far as, like, heavy music goes, uh, punk, hard rock, heavy metal, to a certain extent. We mix it up pretty well in Charlotte. Yeah, I think, like, I know in 2017, early 2018, when we really started playing Boron Heights. Yeah. Like, I think the big thing helping, the big two clubs bringing everybody together in that way were probably Skylark and the Keg and Q. Yep. Like, a ton of shows for people who couldn't get in anywhere else. And also, a lot of cross-genre shows, you know? Yeah. So, we were playing with Warpath a lot then, and, like, Morganton. Yeah, it was a good experience, you know. Whenever we can book a show or play a show with like a, a band that's a lot heavier than we are, I think it's really cool. And we we've tried to book some shows with some bands that are a little bit more mellow than we are, and it just hasn't worked out quite so far. So I got you. But yeah. it will happen. I mean, it'll happen. We've had a few of those too, mostly like out of towners coming through. Mm-hmm. We're not sure what they're playing, and we jump on a show to kind of help out. It doesn't work out so much, but. Yeah, I feel that too. Yeah, I've got some friends and they're playing bands that aren't punk bands, but you know they, they're all people that come from the scene that I'm looking <laughs> forward to, to trying to put shows together with in the future. So it'll be fun to have some like indie rock mixed in with it. Yeah, and I mean when 
when you talk about garage rock, punk rock, and indie rock, all rock, like some of these distinctions are going to be so close since everybody's kind of playing cross genre, and there are a lot of people who are tr- you know trying to play. I think too specific to their genre. Yeah, more open, so it can work really easily. Coachella and stuff like that is kind of evidence of that. All the bands are kind of weird in a way. Yeah. So I'm talking to Cody Ward from well, you were from the Boron Heist. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. I don't know what the status of all that is. Put out a sort of cryptic message on Facebook. It wasn't completely cryptic, but it wasn't real straightforward. I like the way I, I like the way you talk. Um, I'll put that. I'll say that real quick. I really like the way you write. Really cool style that you got. So anyway, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. But um, it's probably really no mystery how you got into cool music because your dad. Yeah. Anybody that doesn't know your dad is Mad Brother Ward, Russ Ward from Antiscene. Yeah, he was a Virginia kid. He came down to Charlotte with his parents. I think in his early high school years. Yeah, and uh, was big into heavy metal. Eventually found a group of weird friends in high school, turned them on to anti-scene, yep. and from there he started going out and hanging out. Met my mom at the Pterodactyl Club, from what I understand. From there, he just decided he needed to have a band. Jeff Clayton gave him that name, Matt or the Ward. Yep. For a few years, kicked around, and then I was born, and that was that for a little bit. Yep. And I'll talk to your dad at some point. We'll get his whole backstory. I like that little, you, the nice exactly. little encapsulation of, of his backstory, so that, that's good. So, you know, we know that your dad likes good music. I mean, you know, but beyond just anti-scene, he likes good music. Um, he's a, he's yeah. a music fan, a huge music fan, and mm-hmm. someone whose opinion I respect when it comes to music because he knows what he's talking mm-hmm. about, and he likes good stuff. Yeah. So we know you got turned on to good music real early on in, in, in age, probably. I mean, I don't know how much music was was on around when you were younger. So it's kind of weird, man. Like, um, So my mom and him got divorced when I was younger, yeah. and... At, at some point, you know, I wasn't around a lot of that music, or I was at an age where, I, you know, he couldn't turn me on to Velvet Underground if he wanted to. It was yeah. too weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, when I was a little kid, I would apparently sit there and listen to the MC5 and sing Animal and Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Kiss as my first show, and, but never really latched on to any of the punk rock, proto punk, or anything like that beyond maybe the Ramones, the Misfits. Yeah. Until I was in college. Before that, it was just heavy metal, man. Yeah. Like high school, I was big into metalcore and a lot of death metal, black metal, and things like that. For a time there, I had like a little group of friends. We never went out and played shows, but we always jammed for you know once or twice a week sometimes. Yeah. Um, some of those guys are Mikey Black, plays in the fill-ins mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, Owen, who's my singer now, and Sykes. We were just kind of jamming stuff and figured it out, and then I got into college, stopped playing for a long time, kind of got really big into study, and you know, I was reading like a book a day sometimes, mm-hmm. and just really focusing on that. And then my senior year, I started to get back into music, yeah. listening to you know, Velvet Underground, MC5, Stooges, Sonics, and stuff like that. Yeah. Big turnaround, though, that got me to want to play again was um, went to Japan and I think 2015, full 2015, mm-hmm. and when I was there, I was in Kyoto, and I heard Guitar Wolf was playing Osaka. Oh, yeah. I've always liked Guitar Wolf. You know, people mm-hmm. over here showing me videos and stuff since I was like 12, and just really yeah. crazy, loud, abrasive noise rock. Yeah. I like their whole aesthetic. I had been listening to them on my iPod over there in Japan when I was biking around Kyoto and everything. And yeah. So I figured I need to go over there and see these guys. Let me tell you, like, Osaka is a giant city. Japanese people tend to be very conservative in their sentiments and things they do. Yeah. If you're into punk rock in Japan, 
you're like on the outside, like really far outside of mm. mainstream culture. And so those people at that club were really wild, included with the package, like to get a ticket was a drink ticket. Yeah. So everybody was fucked up. And they had good supporting acts with them. There's a band from Nashville called Hans Condor. Mm -hmm. Became one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. Oh! on stage, swallowing their cigarettes, like doing insane <laughs> shit. Yeah. And all the bands that played that night were crowd surfing. I crowd surfed and danced on stage. I saw KG from Guitar Wolf walk on hands like Iggy in 67. Yeah. It was just wild. Um, wild enough that I went to a guitar store immediately, like mm. the day after Kyoto, and started playing again on the guitars that were there. Yeah. Trying to pick back up what I could. So when I got back, my friend Owen Sykes, had been in this band the life of AIDS. This is my gun, it's the ammo, the songs tonight, they're my weapons, the wall on me, they're explosive, but they don't kill, they drink your brain. It's doing something wrong, it's doing something bad, until our revolution won't go anywhere. They had been defunct for a few years by this point. Yeah. He had nothing he was doing. And so I was like, man, we need to write some music and get out there and play. Because, like, I'm going to shows and I'm not seeing the thing I want as yeah. much out there. Like, I want to replicate that in some way eventually. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the impetus for where we started. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, uh, Live Grenades, that was Owen... So that was, uh, let me think, Alex from the Felons played in it for a while as okay, a bass yeah. player. Yeah. And two of my friends, uh, Miguel Cohen was on guitar, and I think Naji Lee played drums. They went through a lot of bass players in the early incarnations. Yeah. Functionally, it was a winged band, though. Okay. Um, everybody in the band at the start was from Winged University. Yeah. That's how they all kind of met. That's how I started hanging out with those guys a lot, too. Okay. But um, they kicked around for a few years in Charlotte, played some shows, just kind of bad brains influence punk rock. Yeah. Um, those are good times, you know. That's where I started getting my teeth wet with going out and helping in roadieing, doing merch and things like that. Yeah. So as a kid, did you ever get dragged out to any shows at Milestone or anything like that? It wasn't a ton. I think for some of those big anti-scene anniversary shows. Mm-hmm. I was dragged out for those and had a good time. And then when my dad picked up with Mad Brother Warden, the Dividers in the early 2000s, yeah. I went and saw some of those shows. One of the coolest ones was the one where he opened up for the Ramones. Yeah. I think it was just punky Ramones, Ramones, you know, but mm -hmm. still really cool to go out and hear those songs and see my dad open for that. Oh, but yeah. beyond that, it was like I saw the Misfits once up in Charlotte, and then everything else was pretty much heavy metal. 
children about shows and stuff like that. Yeah. When I was a teenager, before we discovered punk rock and stuff, we were we were going to like hard rock and heavy metal shows. But it was like you know Iron Maiden and you know bands like Van Halen and Aerosmith yeah. and uh, Great White, Tesla bands like that. But then you know discovered punk rock and you know, I was all about the milestone after that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was I, I took the heavy metal route into it too, but heavy metal was a lot different back then than it was when you know what you were listening to. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of different clubs out there too. Yeah, you know, the scene like thirteen thirteen pterodactyl heretics. I wish I was around for some of that stuff, you know. Yeah, but of course that whole generation might say the same thing about like what the spider and uh, the web and stuff like the garage rock yeah. clubs that were on in the teen clubs of the sixties. So. Yeah. Yeah, everybody looks at the previous generation and goes, oh, I wish I had that. But, you know, I, I I just think we should appreciate the things that we have now. And, you know, I'm glad mm-hmm. that all that stuff came before. And I'm glad there's a history. I'm glad I'm a part, you know, I'm a part of that yeah. history of the milestone. But I'm still glad there's a there's a history of the milestone before I was around. It just kind of helped everything get to where it is now. So that history is there. But enjoy what you've got now. You never know what's going to be there next year, especially right now. Everything's so uncertain. That, that, kind of, yeah. that part of it kind of sucks really bad. That's one of the reasons I started up a, um, I've got a page I just started up called The Garage Gods of Charlotte. Yeah. And it's just like trying to look at the garage rock and noise rock bands of the past mm-hmm. and the present, trying to show like there is a continuum in these bands' existence, and we've always had garage bands in Charlotte. Yeah. Because a lot of that history is lost to people, you know? Like I said, I, I grew up around anti-scene and Mad Brother Ward and around the punk thing. And I knew a lot of people who played in Charlotte, but until maybe a year ago, I had no clue that there was even a scene in the 60s. Yeah. There were a ton of bands like the Griffs and the Paragons mm-hmm. um, that kind of ushered in so, you know, the stuff we enjoy today in terms of having clubs and having live music. Yeah. And that's cool that you're doing that. I mean, because I eventually want to, you know, go back a little bit further than 40 years with what I'm doing here, but <laughs> I've been it for about 30 years. And I'm pretty aware of the stuff that happened the, the previous 10 years. Everything from the 80, you know, 80, 80 through, I, I can, you know, relate to at least. Um, it, yeah. That's when punk rock came through Charlotte or came through the Carolinas. And, and so I, mm-hmm. I can go back that far. But if I start digging into the 70s and 60s, I'm going to need some help or I'm going to need to do a lot more research. But, yeah, there is there's a great, great history of music here um, in this area. And that goes way, way back. It's, it's good to bring that to light. And it's one of the reasons I'm doing the thing I'm doing is because I don't want the stuff that I listened to in the 90s to be forgotten about. And I think it's time people shine a light on not just that, but the stuff that's going on today with mm-hmm. the people that were playing in those bands. I mean, I think it's important, like, in the 60s and the 50s, every region had a sound, mm-hmm. right? There was a Detroit sound, there was a Seattle sound, uh, an L.A. sound, and so on and so forth, New York sound. And over time, it's kind of become more and more fused in that way. Like, there aren't sounds for areas, I feel like. I think Charlotte can be a holdout in that way. We've always been like a punk metal sort of place that fuses genre. And, of course, we'll lose that if we don't remember where we came from, what type of music we had in the past, and the trends that were developed. I like to build upon that in certain ways. Yeah. And so you you study music a little bit, don't you? Or you study the history of music? Is this... Because you, you've written blogs before on music. Is this is something you do just as a hobby or talk about that a little bit? It's a hobby. When I started getting back into proto-punk and everything like that, I really wanted to understand what was going on in the areas where it was evolving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I picked up pretty much all the Lester Banks books I could and Lenny Kay and We Got the Neutron Bomb 
Please Kill Me, all these testaments about early punk in different areas. Yeah. And about what's going on in the 60s as well and how it leads up into punk. So I just wanted to understand what was going on with this, what types of genres were forming the development of the genre, and why 76 was so eclectic, while 81, to me, seems more uniform. Yeah. You know, it's just a hobby of mine reading up about these things, but I, I really like to, you know, find the links between the music, understand, oh, okay, here's where the Sonics got their influences mm -hmm. to be, you know, the first punk band. It's just, it's interesting to me. There's a book right now that I'm reading called There Was a Time. Yeah. I think pretty much anybody in the Charlotte scene, interested in the Charlotte scene, should probably pick up if they get a chance. It's just about garage rock in North Carolina, yeah. 60s, and how bands here influence bands outside of the region. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to go back and look for paths so you can understand paths forward. Yeah. I just think it's cool that you've become a student of music you know, without it being something that you're aspiring to for a career or, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe someday you'd like to write for a, yeah. a, a nice prestigious publication or something and make some money. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still something that you've taken up because you just love music. I feel like it's, it's one of those things I'd like to do down the line is write more about music. Yeah. Of course, there are certain things that I'd like to write about now that I may submit for Gabba Gabba Hub. Oh, yeah. I got to get on that. <laughs> for the most part, I think of the role of critic and performer as separate in a way. Like, yeah. almost any time someone tries to transcend that, move from writing about stuff into actually doing it, they have to completely get rid of the writing. Yeah. So you look at the French New Wave and film, they had to stop writing to become filmmakers, mm -hmm. good filmmakers, or vice versa, you know. Musicians probably should stop playing if they want to just do writing. Yeah. See, because I think sometimes anyway, because especially if you write about your own scene, I don't want to, like, write a write-up about my own. I would feel kind of conflicted doing that. Yeah, see. I may not about other people. And it may burn bridges, too, if I'm too um, heavy-handed with criticism mm -hmm. or something. And you bring up a lot of great points and things that I have to deal with when, when I'm doing the zine. And luckily, I'm not doing it from, a, let me write this big five-page or, or, you know, five-paragraph review of this album. I want to just put it yeah. out there with a highlight of this is what it kind of sounds like. It's a fun album. You should listen to it. Mm -hmm. My reviews are all from a musician's viewpoint. And so they're going to not look for the bad. It's going to be promoting the good parts of it. So I'm not going to be yeah. super critical. I'm just going to put it out there and be like, you should listen to this. Give it a chance. <laughs> you know, here's what it sounds like. Bad. Give yeah. this a chance. You don't have anything to lose. Spotify's out there. You have nothing to lose. And so if I did want to take that step and become more of a writer, more of a um, critic to write, mm. you know, longer record reviews, I would have to step away from it because like you said, you, you got to be careful about what mm -hmm. you say and what, you know, whose feelings you hurt. And, you know, there was even one review yeah. that I wrote uh, of the fill-ins. I, I, when I wrote it in Word, I highlighted part of it in yellow. I was like, I'm going to go back and look at this later and make sure they're not going to get mad about this. But it yeah. was just, you know, I was comparing them to, like, some of the hard rock bands in the 80s. And I don't think it's a, mm -hmm. I think I think it's a fair comparison because what they do is a lot, lot like that. Because those bands got lumped in with hair metal. Yeah. A lot of those bands weren't really like that. They just had the look and everything. Um, like Junkyard, they were really, they were just like a rock and roll, they were a dirty rock and roll band with a tinge of punk. Um, yeah. But they got lumped in with hair metal and they ran with it for, because it was good for them. <laughs> um, exactly. But anyway, so I, I, I kind of sat on that for a little while. And after a while, I was like, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about it because I love this music and because I think it's it's, it's a fair comparison. And, and Alex didn't seem to be bothered by it. But, you know, I was I was a little bit worried about that. And, and I definitely can't write about Van Huskins. Um, I'm not going to yeah. review our album for sure. 
um, I'll mention us and like I'll play us on the podcast and I'll play us, you know, when I do the live stuff. But you know, I haven't even done a Van Huskins episode yet. It's gonna happen, but I haven't done it yet. Like I said, I've written a few reviews um, when I started getting ready to do the band. Mm-hmm. I wrote a few reviews about shows I had been to that influenced me, and I had like a five-part review of Guitar Wolf. One of the shows I wrote about a little bit, um, I think it was involved this band, No Power, No Crown. Yeah. And I reviewed their set and said they are pretty solid on their original material, mm-hmm. but their original material was a quarter of their set. And I wish they would write more original stuff. Yeah. And I think uh, I really pissed off the guitar player in that band by saying that. Oh. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, th- I think it was more all good fun, but he was like, I'm coming after <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. I mean, things like that have happened. Um, I- I'm trying to think. I-, I think there were a couple of little things that happened when we did the first two issues of the zine back in 96, 97. A couple of people got their feelings hurt a little bit about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. It's it's that line you tread with being you know honest or just trying to be a little bit have fun with it but be honest and and but not saying anything bad about it but even when you mm-hmm. don't say something bad sometimes people take it in a, in the wrong way because you never know how somebody interprets it they might take that yeah. one thing that one little criticism I wish they had more original music they'd be like what what the hell are they talking about you know yeah. <laughs> people get riled over exactly. the over the weirdest things sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's you, you know you have two sides of the coin. When you go out there and you perform and you put out music and put it into the world, it's not yours anymore. Yeah. Some level, it's everybody's. They get to review it however slanderously or positively they want. You know? Yeah, that's true. So, that's like yeah. we sent the uh, CD off to Razor Cake, and I, I never even posted the review on Facebook or anything because it just after after I read the review, I was like, this guy didn't even listen to the record. He didn't even listen to the CD. He didn't need to talk about the music. He mentioned like my name. He mentioned all of our names, what we played, where we're from, yeah. and then said everything just kind of sounded the same. That there was it was it was good enough, but everything sounded like every song sounded like the the song before or something like that. And I'm just like, dude, you didn't even listen to the record. But you know, Jeez. I sent it out there and was like, okay, hoping somebody <laughs> that listened to it liked it. At least he didn't say it sucked but it was just like it was a non-review i'm like why did i even waste my time yeah exactly we sent our ep out last year to a few different places i think like the big takeover mnr um razor cake razor cake was the only one to give us a review too from what i remember yeah but it was like really short you know yeah reminds them of exploited meats like boy punk sort of thing yeah and uh small comment about the lo-fi quality you know, something yeah. like that. But it wasn't a bad review. It was just really short, lacking substance. Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, that's what I do with, with Gabba Gabba Huzz. I write those little short reviews. I call them like the the maximum rock and roll type reviews. It's just a paragraph, and you kind of give an idea mm-hmm. what it sounds like, and uh, yay or nay kind of deal with it. 
Yeah. Which is what I expect. And, and, and we've gotten some good reviews in the past from that. Some of them, some of them weren't necessarily great reviews, but they were funny reviews and we love them. Um, so, uh, but yeah. you know, it's, you, you take a chance whenever you send it to somebody like that. Cause you're, you're putting it in the hands of somebody that has no context of who you are, no idea exactly. what your scene is like. They're putting it on mm-hmm. listening to this. Like, you know, what if I, you know, pick this up in a record store randomly? They're like, what does this sound like to me? So, yeah, it's true. It's it's probably the best you can do. Yeah, and I would at least like for the person to listen to it and go, this kind of sounds like this, instead of saying, well, Mike Phillips plays bass and Eric Huskins. And, and it's just like, it was a waste of space. It was like he was definitely filling up space going, I got to write a He had to write a review for it, <laughs> and he didn't yeah. want to listen to it. So he just kind of put it on and, and skipped through the songs. And went, hey, okay, it sounds, everything sounds like, got the same guitar tone. It sounds the same. That really sucks, especially when... You know, you have to send, what is it, like, at least two or three copies out to them. Yeah. And, you know, you're paying out of your pocket for those things. Yeah. And the shipping costs and everything. I think, for us, the cost to send to five reviewers was something like 60 bucks after shipping and the cost of the product. At this point, I think it's good to send to those kind of reviewers in the hopes that you get something, but I don't even know if it does anything for press anymore. I don't either. Probably the better thing would be to send to your local um, record companies or people you actually know who can rep you in the in the region. Yeah. That's why, you know, Mystery School Records is so cool. Wow. River Monster Records is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Peer to Ruin Your Groove, Toby out of Germany. Um, yeah. We sent him a whole merch package of our stuff out of Germany. And then he put us on the upcoming comp for Peer to Ruin Your Groove Volume 666. Yeah. And that's coming out next week. It's going to be Pretty cool. It's got, I think, Hembry and Satan Sister, mm. Ryukatsu Blizzard, who just played with the anti-scene in Japan. Yeah. Um, a whole bunch of other really good kind of scummy rock bands. Yeah. Confederacy and scum sort of punk. Yeah. 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 I know they've been gun at my head But you never seem to pull the trigger And I'm standing waiting to be dead Will you try to make your ego bigger? Fuck your empty threats You can't blow with no lids You never watched that Those on just your breath I mean, who knows, like, uh, as we continue to grow the scene and if after COVID-19, um, we get a surge in attendance to shows, mm. or even a new venue or something like that, then there's a big chance that the scene could open up in a, in a much bigger way. Because, I mean, right now we're sitting at 1.1 million people in Mecklenburg County, mm. like something like 2.5 million people in the metropolitan region. Yeah, We're the biggest city, I think, on the south, um, the southeast U.S. like we're bigger than Atlanta now. Yeah, and I, I'm not. I think we've surpassed even Miami, like in terms of straight population. Mm-hmm. So we have the resources there to keep growing the scene. We just need to have outlets to say, "Hey, we're here, and we're trying to put out the best we can." So come out, and have fun at the shows, you know. Yeah, and if somebody would just take notice of the scene, I really do think there's a lot to offer, and it's that's not just mm-hmm. talking about our part of the scene that's talking about the whole scene in Charlotte as well. Cause I, I, I watch these, you know, I watch these other people that, that played music that I don't generally go and see. And they're amazingly talented. There's some great yeah. stuff out there in this, in this area. 
And there's a lot of music fans in this area, but people just have to have a reason to get up off the couch. And maybe the fact that they're, everybody's being forced to sit on their couches for a few months, maybe on the other yeah. side of all this, maybe people will start to go back outside again. Maybe we'll be sick of the internet and sick of Netflix and sick of, you know, Disney plus or whatever you're currently watching on TV or doing at home. You're going to be done. You're going to be sick of it. And then you're already yeah. sick of it. You're ready to go out. But I don't think it's going to happen right away because I think that even on the other side of this, people are going to be afraid to go out for a little while. But if we're, if we're patient with it and if and if enough of us can get out and support the places that we love to keep them afloat, maybe, you know, eventually it'll really pay off. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important right now, I think, to have more and more zines, more and more uh, cooperation between the record companies we have and the record stores we have. And the venues we have in the bands, you know. And I think we're pretty tight-knit. And we're, I think, successfully at this point, cycling information about each other. So if you have seen shows at Tommy's, you're going to know about Repo Record and River Monster Records. Or if you yeah. know about Mystery School Records, you know about what's going on with the Wilmington scenes like Street Clone. But you've also heard about Self-Made Monsters, Thing Sloth, R.I.P., and, you know, all that. Yeah. So let's get back to, um, we, I guess we sort of left off with Boron Heist. You said you and Owen started talking about starting a band, and then we just kind of left off there and got on the side tangent, which is good because that's kind of how I want this yeah. episode to go. So let's talk a little bit about Boron Heist and how you got that all started. At the time, I was listening to a lot of the uh, garage rock revival stuff that was going on in the early 2000s, you know, a lot of white stripes, a lot of hives, a lot of strokes, yeah. um, but uh, as well as a lot of Sonics, Stooges, MC5. Mm-hmm. Getting big into glam rock, T Rex, and I just wanted to do something that could emulate the intensity of that, the simplicity of it, and be you know a, a garagey sort of approach to punk rock or rock and roll. Yeah, and started looking around for people after writing a little bit. Heard about Mark Irvin up in Cherryville. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows Mark in the scene. He's been around forever. Uh, had a band earlier called Teenage Strangle, and been in a lot of other bands. And he was just a really cool resource right at the beginning because we hit it off right at the beginning. He knew everything that I knew about music, yeah. plus some. He introduced me to a ton of really cool stuff. And he helped me figure out, in terms of gear, what type of stuff I should probably be looking at. Yeah, I lucked out at the beginning. A friend of mine a few years ago bought a really beat-up guitar for me at a second-hand shop for 5 bucks, And oh, wow. I cleaned it up. Yeah, I cleaned it up and everything. I uh, de-rusted certain areas of it, mm-hmm. restrung it. That's my Epiphone Riviera 95. Oh, wow. Um, turns out it was made in the Peerless factory in South Korea, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the best Epiphone factories in the country or yeah. in the world. And so it's just a really good guitar that I lucked into for nothing. Then on top of that, once I started looking for cabs, I wanted something that would emulate Billy Zoom's breakup in mm-hmm. X. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at older, um, what's the word, older Fender cabs and things like that, Deluxe Reverbs, Bluesvilles. Yeah. They're just way outside of my price range. And then I found this guy on Craigslist who had the two basement tins, mm-hmm. 1972, a pair of them. And he only wanted 850 bucks for the pair. Yeah. And so I saved up some money and I swooped those up. And basically I had my, my core stuff right there. We mm-hmm. found a drummer. We started practicing for a long time. Uh, it was maybe like six or seven months before we ever did a show. Yeah. 
then we came out the gate. I think we came out swinging, and we started playing a lot of shows at the Keg and Q, Skylark, yeah. Milestone, and um, eventually just picking up a little bit more steam. So yeah, it's been a good run. We've been doing it for about two and a half years playing, about three years practicing together, and then you know we put out the EP, uh, Riding Rough. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. Came out through Mystery School Records. It's gotten some good reviews. Razor Cake uh, through Gabba Kawaha and through a few online publications and things like that. Got a crack in the winters and rhyme from now. Easy book, that's too much. Take back if I'm gonna fall out. Running rough down the road. Running rough from home. We were getting ready to sit down and record a full LP. Yeah. But we just had some internal problems with the sound in terms of certain elements of the band yeah. that we needed to fix to progress. And so right now we're taking a break. We can't really practice because we all know people who are immunocompromised yeah. potentially um, die or get really sick if they get coronavirus. And, of course, no one can play any shows. So we're taking a hiatus yeah. until basically everything's over. And when it is, we'll announce. We're going to go ahead with the Born Heist in the future. Mm -hmm. There's just going to be some changes in terms of the members yeah. and in terms of the sound. Yeah. I think in the past we kind of, um, because of certain problems, we would play the songs too quickly mm -hmm. and lose where we are. We would lose momentum in a show that was going really well. Yeah. And so in the future, the hope is that we will have a more stable back line and be able to come out at the level we need to to really impress, you yeah. know, to have yeah. big shows and try to draw people into the scene who wouldn't normally be here. Yeah. Well, I knew you said, like, and that's why I said it was kind of a cryptic message because that, to me, I didn't take it as this is the end of Boron Heist, but a lot of people put like a, you know, the, the crying little emoji or whatever. And, yeah. um, but I was like, cause you said Boron Heist, Heist, uh, Mach 2 or whatever. Or Mach one, or whatever, yeah. in the in the fall, or whenever this is all over. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so there's some hope. There's something on the other side of this. It just might be a little bit different. Yeah, and that's the idea. It's you know, we want to come back firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and we want to improve the sound to the point where we feel um, ready to represent Charlotte mm -hmm. with our music. There'll be a lot of big steps once this is all over. And in the meantime, we're just kind of doing projects. Yeah. Um, like, Owen just got a job at Amazon. He just got a new uh, place with his girlfriend. So he's figuring out a lot of life stuff right now. Yeah. Um, I think Mark is working, I can't remember with who, but he's working on, like, a bluesy rock project right yeah. now. With uh, Crystal Crosby, and, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, with Dead Regions. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I'm starting up, a, like, a solo project right now. Yeah. Well, I think that's one, I guess, silver lining about all this is, is it's going to cause everybody to kind of slow down a little bit because we, we've all, I know, playing in Van Huskins, and I think everybody I've talked to in other bands, we're all, you know, we work full time and then we've got the band and we're all pushing the band as hard as we can. But then we've all got these things we want to work on on the side, whether it's maybe a solo project or this kind of music I want to play or Maybe I want to really concentrate on on trying to get Gabba Gabba Hunt going a little bit. Or, well, not really wanted to, but this is I'm taking advantage of it. Um, exactly. But we've all got these things on the side that we can use to either, you know, maybe advance ourselves or just get better in the meantime. Mm -hmm. 
little projects that can that can make us more rounded, whether they take off and become full fledged or not. Everybody's kind of trying something a little bit different right now. Exactly. So I think that's one silver lining of all this, and you know, I'm, but I'm ready to get back to playing in Van Huskins. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. seriously, I'm missing it bad. I want to go practice like this week, but I'm still holding off because those numbers they keep going up. Past few they days, do, yeah. past few days, they've just went steadily up, and now we're like we're peaking mm-hmm. again. I'm like, all right. I think, was it two days ago we had 450 new cases, and that was the highest rise in cases, right? Yeah, now it's like. But then yesterday, 570 cases, yeah, and that was the highest rise in cases. Yeah, so now it's, we're getting where. You know, at one point they said we're at the peak, 23 deaths in one day. Mm-hmm. And now it's like 20 deaths a day is kind of the normal. Yeah. I, I feel bad because I, I work. Not necessarily that I want to work. I, I'd much rather be sitting at home, but I, of course I'm glad I'm working. Because for one, I'd be <laughs> going crazy if I wasn't working. Um, but mm-hmm. I also financially. But I deliver pizza, so I'm out in the world and I'm going to 15 to 30 houses a day. Dealing with customers inside the store, deal, you know, working in close quarters with other people. And so I'm going to do my part and stay the fuck at home <laughs> when, when I'm not at work. Yeah. Uh, so Van Huskins mm-hmm. is not practicing right now. And I was kind of thinking last week, me and Eric even talked about it. We met up in a parking lot just to hang out for a few minutes and talk out in the open air. Yeah. I said, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, if the numbers keep going down, we can get back together and practice. And, you know, mm-hmm. once things kind of start lifting, maybe, you know, I'll feel better about it. But right now, I'm going to keep doing my part. Yeah. And I mean, I think estimates right now are what june mid-june for the peak in mecklenburg which yeah. means for us in like union and gaston it's functionally the same peak exactly you know? yeah it's you know we're a little bit farther out luckily here in cleveland county and in the area i live in we're at six cases and that's been since the beginning nice. it's it's grown really slow in in the king's mountain area um cleveland yeah. county cleveland county overall is not that huge but still i know you know we're not that far from charlotte so it, as, yeah. as the numbers keep going up we're going to have our numbers go up too Mm-hmm. But it makes me feel a little bit better about going out in the world. I'm like, okay, well, there's only six known cases in in this area, so I'm I'm good. I think. <laughs> yeah. And see how where I'm at, Union County, like uh, Lincoln, Monroe area. Mm-hmm. Union County has almost like 200 cases. Yeah. And I know at our Walmart, which is the only Walmart in the area, there have been cases with employees. So yeah. we're, just, we're a little shit out of luck on figuring it out, but. Well, that's all it's going to take here is like, say one of if I get it or one of the people I work with gets it, all of a sudden it's not going to be but a few days. Everybody's going to end up having it, and that's all it's going to take for the numbers to explode. Like I work at Target, and we have a lot of really awesome controls in place. We all have gloves, uh, face masks yeah. provided to us by the company. We have cleaning shifts, and we're limiting our capacity to less than the order. I think it's right now about 10% yeah. instead of 20%. Yeah. So we're doing everything in our power, but still, you know, you have days where, they, you know, our normal capacity is 3,000 or so, so we'll have 250 people in the store. It's and still looks know, busy. And then can all be congregated right there in electronics buying yeah. non-essential stuff yeah. that we could really just be doing online at this point. Yeah. That's what so I've done. I've, I've went to buying everything online, and, and I'm not buying a whole lot, but you know, I, I'm I'm trying to. I, I go to the grocery store maybe once a week, and that's it. I'm staying. In, I'm staying in other than work. Now, when I'm at work, I'll stop by the convenience store or something like that. But I'm still like after work, I go straight home. But once a week, I go to the grocery yeah. store and stock up, and then I stay home. And I mean, the thing is, we have certain numbers. We know we're not testing enough. Yeah. I mean, Mecklenburg is the place I've been focusing on the most because that's where I work. 
think it's 1,500 cases or so right now, yeah. but they're saying we've only caught 5 to 10% of cases based on our positivity rate and based on all these other factors, like 37% of people up to that can be asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. There are people with weird symptoms um, who can just be spreading it the whole time, not knowing it. And, of course, up to three days, you could have it and not get symptoms and then get symptoms. You know, so our case counts could be as high as, what was that, like fifteen to 30,000 people with mm-hmm. it. And in a city of 1.1 million, now we're looking at less than one in 100 people have it. Yeah. Every Target, every Walmart, every hour of every day has more than that yeah. amount of people in it. Oh you yeah, line and every philo and so on and so forth. Well, that's what I think about our, our number here. That that six people. I'm like, yeah, that's six people known. So that means it's probably at least double that, if not a lot more than that. Probably a lot more than that. Who just don't know they yeah. have it or or have such mild symptoms, they're not going to the doctor to even be tested. And exactly. I'm probably and I'm probably delivering a pizza to, to a couple of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's dangerous out there. I mean, even if you're in good health. From what I'm hearing, you know, all this stuff about it attacking your blood vessels, which will attack your organs. Mm-hmm. If it attacks your lungs, then there's a chance you basically have 70% or worse lung functioning for the rest of your life. And I already have uh, a hard enough time, like, climbing three flights of stairs. I don't want to yeah. have to do it after getting COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. So I think everybody should definitely stay safe. And hopefully none of these orders are lifted anytime soon. Because yeah. Yeah, that's that's the number one thing I, I've realized about all this. I love, you know, I love the uh, ideals of America. I don't love the stuff we do politically throughout the world. Mm. Um, but I could always say, you know, I don't like American uh, American like government or politicians, but the people are great. And now I'm just like, the people are dumb. <laughs> like a lot of great people in America, but at the same time, there's so many people that just go out would willfully spread yes if they had symptoms yeah there are probably are there definitely are and that sucks but i don't know i just i just i think it sucks that capitalism is going to end up killing us all because you know they're really and i get it i understand from from an individual perspective you know if Mm -hmm. i wasn't able to work right now and i couldn't get unemployment because either a i was denied or b it's just the system's not working like it should I'd i'd be freaking out right now but now I don't. I don't know, man. I, I I I agree with trying to slowly reopen things. There's a certain part of me that feels like I don't know that, that we got to figure out a way to 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 move on. But I'm just I think it's too soon. It's definitely too soon yeah. for things like any kind of salons where you work one on one in a confined area with somebody. Yeah. Um, for movie theaters, where I mean, if you're sitting six feet apart from somebody, how many people can they have in the theater? Um, it's probably you know over a hundred people in any one theater room. So yeah, but I mean even like a like so most theaters have let's say a hundred seats. If you're going mm-hmm. to be six feet away from the next group, you can probably only have five or six groups even in that small little area. But you know they'll yeah. put more than that. They'll like do a reduced capacity. They'll do like fifty percent or something like that. Skip seats or something. But yeah. you know at that, how can you even you know afford to pay your staff? So when you're doing all these reduced capacity exactly. things or you're doing, so a salon does half the number of customers that they do in a day mm-hmm. with like an hour of cleaning between. And you have to hire new people. Yeah, you have, you to, know, hire you have extra, to hire a lot of new people to clean. Yeah, you have to hire extra people to clean and then you've got reduced mm-hmm. income coming in. It's just going to kill. I, I don't see any way around the fact that a lot of businesses are going to die f- from this, regardless of whether we open up early or not. Yeah. 
And that's and that's like, the sad yeah, part of this it. This is at this point what twenty five million filed for unemployment. Like and plus we've known mm. for so long there are all these people who just are out of employment and don't even search because the job market isn't that great. You have to work two jobs yeah. if you're living in a big city, you know, to oh, actually support yourself. And so it's like our numbers may be 20% unemployment. There are only 200, what, 220 million Americans that are working English. I on my own, boxing with words, boxing on the air with the first blow. Monkeys are weak, mothers and blurs. She and the end one go. Gotta tell you about this girl. So far I want to let go When you got a normal You know she ain't nobody's bad So I remember we, we played our first show together and we were talking about Keg and Q. I think at, at Keg and Q. And I don't remember who else played that show right off the top of my head. But I remember that was the first time I met you. And yeah, I mean there are so many Keg and Q shows, they all kind of kinda of you know, meld together in my mind. It's hard to even pick them out from one another. Yeah, and I hate that but place I mean, is gone now, but I know, like, Jamie was the real reason why that place was, why we all played shows there. And so when Tommy's opened up, we all just went to Tommy's because that's, Jamie was the one booking the shows that we played there. Yeah. So nothing against the venue or the owner or anything. It just, that's that's what happened. And then then that, I think that, I think Keg and Q carried on for a little while as primarily a metal club, or they mostly had metal yeah. shows for a little while after that. For what it's worth, you know, I, I really enjoyed that and really appreciated the fact that Keg and Q was there for us when we needed it. Absolutely. And Kat was awesome. I yeah. loved, you know, coming in there and talking to her, and she was always real cool to me. So, And, you know, that was the coolest thing. It was just an easy place to play. You could play anytime. They're always looking for people. So you could put together shows knowing that, you know, you're all new bands, and you have the appeal to pull out ten people. Yeah, and yet you could do it and give it all, give it your all, and build your brand that way. Yeah, I think that was kind of all our our stomping ground for doing that. So I really appreciated that for sure. When Tommy's came around, we started having these shows. It was like it's a really good setup. I mean, number one, it's always free shows. You don't have to man the door. Yeah. There weren't the electrical problems. I heard about a few amps blowing at Keg and Q, and that was one of the things that scared me a little bit. Yeah. And also, you know, you had a big percentage of the tab. I think it's bands get 20% of tab. Hmm. So the more people you can get in, the more incentive you have to do that. Yeah. One really good thing I think about Tommy's was that bands are putting a lot of money in Facebook ads now and hmm. they're starting to get people out who wouldn't normally be out of these shows. And the fact that Tommy's is where it is, that was also advantageous. You know, Keg and Q, for, for, for mm-hmm. what it was, was a little bit further out. You know, that was out you know, where Tremont yeah. was. And I miss Tremont a lot. But it was, mm-hmm. you know, as far as convenience factor, and that and that's that plays a, a big part into people going out to shows mm-hmm. these days, unfortunately, is convenience factor. But for the convenience factor, yeah. Tommy's, got, Tommy's has that. Mm-hmm. Not only that, infinite parking. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You, know, you could probably park you know, a thousand people all down that lot. Yeah. And since there shows at night, no one's in the lot, no one cares. So it's the only place that has that much parking like Yeah. Out of pretty much anywhere but the stadiums, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I mean but I remember coming onto the scene and, you know, I had no clue what bands were playing at that time. I didn't know I wasn't searching out bands on Facebook very much. The shows I was going to 
the bigger ones. I went and saw X three times. I saw Anti-Scene a lot. I was running in for them some. Yeah. And I saw um, the Sonics play with Dex Romweber, which was a fantastic show. Oh, yeah. But I, yeah. you know, I knew about Paint Fumes and Anti-Scene, not much more than that. So once I got out there and started playing, and you know, start playing with you guys and with AMFMs and the War Boys and Trash Room and yeah. Grievous and so on and so forth, lots of good bands were just eye-opening to me that we've got something going on here. And unlike the early 2000s or through the 90s where a lot of it was really derivative or very genre-based, a lot of street punk, a lot of boy punk, a lot of pop punk, a lot of hardcore punk, we're doing a lot of cross-genre stuff now, Yeah, which is ultimately you know, what I think our strength is, is just how cross-genre we are. Yeah. In terms of the scene as a whole, you know. That's what's good. I mean, whenever we throw shows or put shows together, I say throw shows, um, but whenever we put shows together, just trying to find bands that, that do blend and, and work well together, but not necessarily all sound the same, which in Charlotte, you don't have a problem with that. Nobody sounds the same in Charlotte. Um, but you can you can have these shows where they're, they're kind of blend the genres a little bit because Van Huskins doesn't play punk rock. Van Huskins plays punk rock, this classic rock influenced and heavy metal influenced and you know, you might yeah. hear a, a ZZ Top influence part in this, but it's, you know, it's, and, and same with pretty much all the other bands, but everybody's got their own sound. But as far as like all this quote unquote heavy music goes, we, we all work so mm-hmm. well together. I mean, you can put Death of August on the show with Boron Heist and um, the fill-ins and Van Huskins, and that's going to be an excellent show. And everybody that's going to be there, the fans of each other's bands are going to are going to enjoy the other bands. And all the fans are fans of all the bands. Yeah, which is the weirdest thing to me, but it's so cool, you know. Like, I know a ton of people who are regulars at shows, mm-hmm. and they like all these bands. You know, one thing I'm interested in doing right now too, though, it's um, it's a little bit opposite to that end too. Once we start doing shows, it's getting a few more genre-specific shows going, too. Yeah. So, like, The Garage Gods of Charlotte, one of my aims is to try to get more of those bands that are garage rock or psych rock onto my kind of radar and put together more shows like that. There are a lot of great bands that are just straight garage rock. Yeah. Stuff like Heavy Liquid uh, or the Straight Jackets, Alec Miller's bands are fantastic. I like the Paint Fumes a lot, but I even like their side project a lot more leather boys mm-hmm. just kick ass good like garagey Ramones punk basically feel like the born heist is kind of more traditional punk just because of how the vocals and things work out in those but yeah there's other bands like larian or modern primitives and mm-hmm. so on and so forth just a lot of bands doing straight garage rock influenced by stuff by like garage rock revival and bands that are playing now, like Ty Siegel, you know? Yeah. So I think it'd be cool to have a lot of that stuff going on as well. Yeah. Hopefully we can have like a mini fest 2021 or something, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. Because this probably will be 2021 before we can really start thinking about doing a lot of stuff like that. Unfortunately, I, I yeah. see a lot of people start booking shows already for the fall, and I'm like, I might want to hold off a little bit on that. But I understand if, if, if yeah. you want to try to at least plan ahead, maybe mm-hmm. – I don't know. It, it, I, I don't think it matters so much on a local scale. But I see larger bands mm-hmm. booking big shows in the fall, and I'm like, you know, that's probably a lot of money going into booking that when you're going to have to cancel it again. Yeah, exactly. You know, the smaller bands, it makes sense because they're going to be – we only have so many venues. Everybody's going to be fighting for those first few spots when we do open. Yeah. 
it's probably gonna be hard to get a good spot on a week, you know, a weekend at a good venue. Yeah. And so all those are probably gonna be taken up for months, I imagine, if you don't do it like as early as possible. Yeah. But maybe they're maybe it is smart because I mean, worst case scenario, you just cancel it. You don't put any ad money into it until maybe two weeks before, just to make sure we're all good down here. But yeah, big major marketing for a big metal tour is going to be a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand how they're doing that. But some more. I did want to ask a little bit more about you know Boron Heist and the 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 EP that you recorded, Riding Rough. You recorded that with Barry Hannibal, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a funny story. We were looking for someone to help us record. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, at the time, we had been spent, you know, tanking it all in a merch, basically trying to get enough merch. Yeah. T-shirts, buttons, and all that. So, I, you know, I roadie friend I've seen a lot, and I just asked Barry, I said, hey, would you be able to record us? Uh, we can spot you some money. He's like, I'll just do it, man. We're like, you know, really? And he's like, yeah. So we went and talked to him and decided we we're going to go do it over at Anti-Scenes Practice Space. Yeah. So we just practiced really hard for a few weeks, didn't do any shows, and we went there, and one day we did all the takes and put it out. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty simple process. We just did the old sort of garage style. We played the instruments all at the same time, Yeah. and then we did vocals separately, and we have a few gang vocal sections we did separately. Mm -hmm. So it's probably like four tracks or something like that on a 16-track yeah. system. Do you do any gu um, guitar overdubs or just one guitar straight? It was just one guitar straight, but I played through both amps at one time. Yeah. And so I managed to get like a two guitar sound with slightly different settings on each yeah, amp. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, he sent us the stuff. I talked to John Bowman of the War Boys, mm -hmm. uh, and also co-founder and operator of Mystery School Records. Yeah. And he mastered it for us. Yeah. It was just, it was a big blessing that those two helped us out so much. Big shout out to you guys. Like, you guys, the reason that EP made it out without absolutely breaking us, you know? <laughs> it, it's nice to have friends that, that can help out. I mean, we, we worked with John, and, and John's a great guy, and, and I've made sure to pay John too, but it, it's just nice to have talented friends that, that can do stuff like that. And, you know, John, I, I got him to master the, the EP that we just did, even though we, were, we recorded that with Brandon. I got, yeah. him to, I got him to master it for us. So it's nice to have those people like in our back pocket that we can use to, to, to help out with things like that. that. Help them out, help us out, and uh, everything. I like having friends. When, when I open it up and I, I read the, the liner notes, I like seeing friends' names, not just people that I worked with or people that I paid. Yeah, exactly. You know, It's one of those things about building camaraderie and uh, building cooperation, too. You know, like Not only do all the record companies rep the bands and the venues, but... You know, we have all that listed in our credits, yeah. if you will, on you know, the records. And on that EP, we were trying to figure out what to do in terms of putting it out. Um, you know, obviously, we're all independent here in Charlotte. Yeah. We're not going to get on, like, a label that will pay for anything. But we have labels that will help promote and labels that will help sell in their own shops yeah. and their own towns. And so I got up with Mystery School Records because Bowman was working on this. And John Bridges of the Street Clones out in Wilmington was very happy to give us a catalog number yeah. and to give as much promotion as he could on the site and through their um, various social media platforms. So we went ahead and put it out through Mystery School Records. We had a big EP release show with uh, War Boys and Trash Room, I think it was. I think that was right. 
That was our biggest show I think we've done headlining. Hmm. We completely packed the place out. It was like I think almost a fifteen hundred dollar bar or something like that. We sold a lot of merch. So it was a really good night. Yeah. And after that that's where we had some problems. We tried to put out the C D through C D baby and on the E P it says Boron Heist on the front. Yeah. Not the Boron Heist. Yeah. And because we're called the Boron Heist, it wouldn't process and put it out for digital streaming hmm. on Spotify and SoundCloud and all that. And it took us about two or three months to figure out that that was the problem. Yeah. After sending email after email, day after day, and trying to figure it out. Just the. the. Wow. <laughs> One little the caused that million problems. But um, since then, you know, we've had some healthy streams of it online and um, gotten much more present through that to the band page and everything. If everything had gone as we had hoped, that would have been a good jumping off point for the album. Yeah. I'm thinking we're just going to have to build back up from not square one, but, you know, somewhere farther back than when we were. That's everything real. And that's everybody. Yeah. Well, well, trust me when I say that every time you get ready to release something new, you always think, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. People are going to take notice. People are going to love this. And then you release yeah. it, and the, and the and the usual suspects, your usual friends and everybody, oh, I love this, it's great. But then you don't <clears> get much pop beyond that. So trust me when I say that, that it might not necessarily be the fact that the way it came out, the way all that happened, it might just be the fact that that's the way the music scene is these days. And, and I'm hoping that that, yeah. I'm hoping that that little bit of it changes as well. I'm hoping that maybe people are a little bit more willing to support bands and, and listen to their music, and not just show up when they're playing live. releases we've got a pretty good you know yeah um, if you compare us to hip-hop releases or to electronic music and things like that they get a lot more streams they yeah. get a lot more digital sales but those streams you know it's what a thousand ten thousand views for a penny yeah so every beyonce record every jay-z record that comes out every kanye record might immediately make platinum because they count a streaming sale or watched as a sale now. Yeah. But they're making $1 off of that sale, whereas any rock artist selling their CD is making 10 Yeah. We're running in, like, different circles in terms of how distribution is working. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm always a proponent of the idea that if you have a band 
and you start to build your brand in that band, you can change it in any way you want. Over time, you can change out all the members if you have to, if they all have to go off and do their separate things in life. Yeah. You can change your sound completely. But once you've built that brand, it's there, and you have a certain amount of eyes who have seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing you can do is continue to build it. And if you change the band name, it's not a good thing. So I think in the future, my goal is always to keep doing the Boron Heist no matter what changes for 10, 20 years, try to keep expanding it, try to yeah. tour summers over time because you never know when you'll be the next Melvins. Yeah. You know, where you can make a, a living out of touring over the summers. Um, just because you've been doing it for 20 years and have the notoriety. Yeah. I think, you know, that's the one thing that rock artists really have going is there are ways to make it cheap where it doesn't cost you a lot of money to keep it going. Yeah. But if you do keep it going, dividends are there as long as you put your heart and soul into it, you know? Yeah. That was a, that was a good comparison to use like Melvin's because, you know, Melvin's don't, they're not huge. But they can no. definitely survive off of their music, and they don't have to tour that often. They 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 tour. They they put out an album just about every year in one form or another. Mm-hmm. They're always releasing some kind of music, whether it's a Melvin's yeah. record or it's you know some kind of solo project or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're always touring. But they're yeah. they don't have to work day jobs. I'm sure they they they've got it figured out, and they don't put that much into it as far as monetarily. And they're not anomalous, you know. You look at all these other bands that do similar things, like Ween. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Ty Siegel or King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They just keep putting out stuff, keep touring, keep hitting the ground. Yeah. And they never stop. Yeah. And in the process, they have a following that'll go see them. They can get on all the big uh, festival circuits. They can make enough money to live as artists, you know. And never have to quote unquote sell out or never have to get radio airplay, never get on MTV or well, not anybody, get, nobody gets on MTV these days, but you know, never have to get any of that exposure that, that the other bands like Beyonce does. Of course they're not making Beyonce money, but they're, they're living and they're doing it within their, their own terms, which I'm sure Beyonce kind of is too, but whatever, that's a different animal altogether. Yeah. So it's like, what's keeping integrity if you didn't have it all along? Yeah. That's so. all I'll say about that. <laughs> and, and, and like I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I can't take that away from Beyonce because just because it's not punk rock doesn't mean it lacks integrity. So yeah. That's true. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm just a little too harsh. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. That, but that's why I have to remind myself that it's not, not what I would do. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think my neighbor just started cutting the grass because all of a sudden I can hear it. This microphone picks up everything really great so all of a sudden i'm hearing i'm hearing a lawnmower in the head headset i'm just mentioning that in case i can hear it on the recording and it interferes yeah i can leave this bit in and be like that explains it (laughs) yeah i did want to ask about this the solo project so you know my my stage persona buffalo bill cody yeah Um, so it's, it's under that title and i've got a friend of mine named willie may he's like he's just a really good accomplished acoustic player yeah, and a lot of different formats, jazz and country, and a little bit of bluegrass. He really wanted to write some songs, man. We've been wanting to write some stuff together for a while. We sat down for everything happened. We wrote down some stuff, and right now we're just conferencing over the phone. Soon it'll be over laptops and uh, webcams. Yeah, we're just writing material right now, kind of some sort of niche between desert rock and Neil Young. Okay, the idea is going to have him do the rhythms. I've got a friend, uh, Will Weinkoop, 
the son of Dave Winecoop, yeah. previously a Matt Award and the Dividers, yeah. and Will Winecoop is going to be laying down some bass tracks for it. I'm going to do some lead tracks for it, uh, as mm-hmm. well as second guitars, and um, talking to a couple people about drums right now. Yeah. So basically, be my first foray into singing on a record. Okay. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. So far, I'm just a, you know a car and shower singing kind of guy. <laughs> I understand that. But uh, never done it. Well, I've done it once in a live context, but yeah, yeah, it's it's completely new for me. It it know? takes a little getting used to. Um, I, I used to hate it, but now I don't mind it at all. I, I just have to be able to sing and play what I'm playing at the same time. And that's the tricky part. But you know, it's you get you get better at that as well. Even if you can't, don't think you can do it at first. If you keep trying mm-hmm. it, you can eventually nail it and be like, "Oh shit, I can do that. I can play that and sing that at the same time." And that's that's one um, good thing I think about the quarantine right now. From now this is, I don't have to go out and play shows with the material. I can just work on it at the mm-hmm. house. And uh, ideally. Because the Boron Heights is my main focus, I would just do the record. None of the people I'm talking to, I, I think, want to have a full band. So the idea is to record the stuff separately, yeah. put out a physical release along with uh, digital releases on the same day yeah. as we do one live show. And that would be it. Yeah. Premiere at one live show, put out the record, have it for sale at Boron Heights shows and at the shows of any of the uh, these other musicians if they continue on with bands and, you know, just to build my repertoire of um, releases through it, basically. Yeah. But to do something I've been interested in for a while. I've been uh, contemplating a solo project during this time, too, but I just I still haven't found time to do it. I've been working on learning one cover song, and that's it. <laughs> I thought I was going to write right. all these songs, but I've just... I, everything here has ramped up more on Gabba Gabba high end since we've been quarantined because now I can do the live shows and all of a sudden I'm recording extra episodes every week. So eventually I'm going to have enough bank. I'm going to find me a little bit of time to just some downtime. And I think I'll yeah. pick it up then and, and start trying to put those ideas together that I had. What sort of stuff would you be interested in doing? Well, I don't really know The the cover song I'm learning is, is unchained melody by the righteous brothers, <laughs> just cause I really want to, I want to record a version of that. So I think I'll do that. But if I did like a like just a full solo project, it would probably be a little bit more a little bit more stoner rockish, maybe. I don't know. I'd like to do a lot of different things. I don't really have a mm-hmm. very good idea. I've got some. I've got a few ideas that I've jammed on with my brother that yeah. I could use, but they're all like sort of heavy metal, stoner rockish kind of stuff, doomish, doom metal sort of things. Yeah. So that's probably probably be that with maybe like two basses, maybe a guitar. Probably a guitar, but definitely two basses, two bass tracks. One of them fuzzed out really bad, and one of them just kind of more clean. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've I've got a Zoom recorder that I need to just put into practice. I mean, just use and and figure out how to do this stuff. These ideas I've got that I've just thought in my head, and then they're like, actually, I can yeah. make this real now. Mm-hmm. I just got to find the time to do it. So far, I haven't done that because I'm working full time and doing this. Like this is almost like another full time job that I don't get paid for. Yeah. Well, hopefully soon, man. There'll be more ads and Gabby uh, Gabba Hunt, and you can make some revenue off of it. Well, I just like it's, it's I, really cool what you're doing. You need to make money off of it for sure. I'd like for it to support it's itself. Awesome. And so far, I mean, I'm getting some donations through the Patreon. So it's, you know, some some of the hosting and everything's kind of paid for, but I've put a lot more money into this. And, you know, yeah. granted, a lot of it is me buying music, which is just my personal collection. <laughs> so I don't expect for that to be paid for. 
you know, I just bought a yeah. microphone. I bought a Zoom recorder because of this. I bought a copier because of this. I bought a bunch of little yeah. equipment that's going to take a while for all that stuff to be paid off. I'm not looking to, to make money off of this, but it would be nice to eventually kind of break even a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know. So the, so the print zine is in, in limbo at the moment. It's, I, I really do plan to get one out by the end of the month, by the end of May. Um, yeah. But it'll all be one good thing about it will be I won't have to print a whole bunch of them because I'll just print them off as needed and just like ship yeah. them out three dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if anybody wants to buy them, I, I'll do that. But until yeah. we can go back out again, you know, I'm not going to have anywhere to just go drop a whole bunch of them off at. Mm-hmm. So over the next yeah. few months, we may even see that evolve. That idea may go to the wayside depending on because the, 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 the podcast seems to be taken off fairly well. The zine's a nice yeah. component of it, and I think a lot of people like that. But, you know, unless I get some help with it, I just don't know if I can sustain doing it. So we'll see. Awesome. I really like the zine. Um, so if you were ever in a bind, like, hey, I need maybe a page on this, or there are local releases you want to do a write-up on, or what have you, just send information my way. I'd like to help out. Yeah. So. I definitely am looking for people because if I, if I want to keep doing it, I'm, I'm going to need help with writing because it's, it's a lot to do on my own. That's one thing. I don't want to see it go to the wayside, but depending on, yeah. the, you know, how all this, this stuff plays out, it may go to the wayside for a little mm-hmm. while, but I would eventually like for it to be like, you know, Queen City Nerve ubiquitous in Charlotte. People can pick it up just about anywhere yeah. and, and it'd be maybe covering the entire Charlotte music scene and not just what I know. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, it's going to require, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of outside help and that's going to be... I start to lose interest whenever I have to involve too many other people because I know what it's like working with other people and having to try to get people to, to, to turn stuff in and stuff. Yeah. So when I start thinking about making it bigger, there's a part of me that wants to do that. And there's a part of me that goes, Oh man, this is going to be a headache. Then I'm not going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe keep it the same size, but offload some of the work. So that way, worst yeah. case scenario, someone doesn't turn in an article you need. You just write it up. Yeah. You're not too far behind. Yeah. I, I definitely don't want it to fall completely to the wayside because I like the the fact that it's something to hold in your hand. I think that's mm-hmm. important. I think it's extremely important right now. So it may stay at the quote unquote boutique level that it's at right now, but you know, that's, that's okay. <laughs> Let me know if there's anything to help with that. For sure. Definitely. I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to start writing the next one. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of new releases. I mean, there's a few that I can write stuff about. Um, yeah. but, and so I'll probably write an article about my first time going to the milestone and then what the milestones meant to me over the years. I'll probably do a little article about maybe lunchbox records since I wrote about repo records last time. Although I don't, I don't have any memories of lunchbox records. I still want to little, do a little write up on them, do a couple of things like that. Maybe write an article on a band that isn't around anymore and mm-hmm. then write an article about a band that is, and, and it might be a little bit thinner this time, maybe not quite as many pages, but I'll, I'll get something out there. That sounds pretty cool to me, though, man. You haven't listened to anything new? Not really. <laughs> Honestly, I, I new. I haven't listened to anything new in a while. Uh, mostly just listening to older stuff these days. Um, like I, I listened to the, I, I listened to the new Screech and Weasel album that came out a couple weeks ago. It was all right. Yeah, but I didn't mm. see any reason to go back and listen to it. I listen to things like that. Um, I'm just drawing a blank right now. Usually, if something comes out, I'll listen to it. But nothing mm-hmm. has like grabbed like, a hold of me lately. That's been like, oh, I got to tell people about this. Gotcha. Yeah, I've been kind of bored lately. Like when I drive to work and back, ran out of CDs. I usually just buy more manifest or repo, and I'm out of stuff to listen to in my car or new stuff. You know. Yeah. So I've been like really going through the shelves at Target 
in the back shelves trying to find some stuff I could buy that would be interesting in any way. Yeah. There are four new records that I think are uh, kind of interesting. So have you heard the anything from the Black Keys lately? Black Keys left rock. Um, I heard a couple of the songs that I guess the first two songs they released off of that. Was, that one's been out for a little while, hasn't it? Yeah, came out I think last year. Yeah, late last year, yeah. something like that. I like I like them all right. Cool, man. Yeah, that record though is like I've never listened to much Black Keys, but on that one, the, it's a real T Rex turn. Mm-hmm. Just the way some of the songs are structured, definitely how the guitars are more choppy, um, less distorted and loud. But it's cool because it's not like, say, like Louis the Fourteenth back in the day had T Rex songs that were exactly like T Rex, yeah, lyrically and everything, in terms of how he affects notes and the surreal images they put in your head and so on and so forth. Yeah, they're doing T Rex, but with their own voice. Okay. So I think it's a pretty cool record. I think anybody who likes T Rex or glam rock or even just garage rock should probably check that one out. Yeah. On top of that, the Strokes, the new Abnormal. I tried. I tried to listen to because uh, I love the Strokes, and I tried to yeah. listen to I guess the first single they released, and it didn't catch me. So I, I grabbed me. So I have to. Yeah. I have to listen. To, I have to listen to that whole Black Keys album too, because again, I, I listened to the singles when they came out, but I don't think I listened to the whole thing. The Strokes album is kind of. I don't think it's as good as the Black Keys record, yeah. but I've listened to it more nonetheless. The two lead singles, I think, At The Door is one. It's a really threadbare kind of, what do you call it, like an electronic rock ballad, yeah. if that makes any sense. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, and then the other single, Making Bad Decisions, is like a, I'll Stop the World and Melt With You and Dancing With Myself. Uh, takes both those songs and a bunch of 80s tropes. Yeah. And system up. I think actually Billy Idol has a song credit on that <laughs> um, because you know otherwise they would probably get sued. Yeah. <laughs> if you get past those two songs, the rest of the record is kind of really just it's just really cool hybrid of stuff. Yeah. Everything from new wave to modern like garage rock revival sensibilities. There's yeah. a song where. Uh, Julian Casablancas is affecting Lou Reed really hard. There's another one where the guitar player is at, uh, the guitar player is affecting Robert Quine, mm-hmm. and those really loud squeals of distortion and it's, it's a very weird record. Yeah, and I think kind of fits the times, especially that name, the new abnormal. Yeah, it's friend, you know. Yeah. Then you ever listen to any Tame Impala? I've listened to them before. I've never really gotten that into them. Yeah. It's, this new record, um, the Slow Rush, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. It's not rock at all. It's not anything in that wheelhouse. It's like like electronic pop, yeah. psychedelia mm-hmm. in a way. It's a good record if you're into that sort of thing. And a lot of people were really looking forward to the weekend's new record this year, mm-hmm. which I think completely fell flat. It's horrible. If you didn't like that, Tame Impala Slow Rush is the way to go for something. Yeah. Um, in that wheelhouse, that's just infinitely better. And the last record um, I've been listening to is uh, is actually a disappointment, and it's the Who Who mm-hmm. the Who's new record. Okay. Um, Pete Townsend produced it, and there's a lot of auto tune going on. Yeah. A lot. Voices are not as good. The songs aren't as good as 
anything that they came out with pre-80s yeah. or even through the mid-80s. There's only one good track on it, I think, and it's a bonus track towards the end that is affecting the 1960s British Invasion style. Yeah. Vocally and everything. So that's a really cool track. It's almost worth the price to purchase, but for 14 tracks of bad music otherwise, yeah. I don't get it. Really disappointed with that, you know. Yeah. Well, the Who is one of those bands that I, I've always respected, and I, I like some of their stuff, but I've never really loved mm-hmm. them a whole lot. And I know some people do. I know your dad is a huge Who fan. Um, yeah. But I, I, they've never really grabbed me like they they did other people. But especially when mm-hmm. bands like that are still putting out music, I generally like check out <laughs> like way before. So if I even knew that the Who put out a new record, I'd have been. I, there's no way I'd have even checked it out. So I might actually go listen to it just because you said that. Or at least try to find that yeah. one track, but I, it's I don't definitely know. worth listening. But I do it online. Yeah, I yeah, that, yeah. I'm not gonna buy it. I'm not gonna buy it. I'll, I'll find it on Spotify or whatever. Try to think if there's anything else new musically that's coming out that's pretty cool. I think Ty Siegel just did a uh, a record of uh, oh god, Nielsen Schmielsen. You know Harry Nielsen's record. Oh yeah, yeah. He did a cover of songs off of Nielsen Schmielsen. Okay. It's called Siegel Schmiegel. <laughs> he, yeah. he's he's so always putting. I can't keep up with that dude. He is he's always putting something out. He's prolific, man. Yeah. I think last year he had maybe like five or six records. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple bands, you know, like White. I think he has a band, Joy. Another one called White Fence. Mm-hmm. And it's just whenever those guys want to go out on tour, they'll get up with a group of people, work for a few weeks, put out a cool record, and then go out and. Make a bunch of money on the tour circuit. Yeah. Got it made, man. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice. And a lot of it's good stuff, too. So. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. It'd, it'd be nice to have that all figured out. Keep at it. You never know. Yeah. I mean, I'm 46. I, I've given, I've kind of given up on my rock star dreams, but, but there's still a part of me that goes, you know, and you never know when it might happen. Absolutely. So I haven't, I haven't completely given up on it. I just don't like think about like I did when I was younger. Of course, I think once I realized once I realized that I was going to be punk rock and not a not in heavy metal, I kind of gave up on those dreams of living off of my music anyway. Yeah. yeah when I was a teenager and I was I was like a Motley Crue fan at that point. Oh yeah, I want to play in a band and, be, and make millions of dollars. But then when you you know when you're 20 and you're listening to the Minutemen, you realize oh yeah, the best I can do is like drive around in a van and eat off the dollar menu. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. That was really cool. What uh, Mike Watt uh, did was it. About a week and a half ago for the milestone. Oh yeah, when he's on that, I, I was at work. I was washing dishes when he was when he was playing. So I got to watch, watch him while he while I was washing dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. Like, I'm not sure how they did that. I guess milestone just approached him and asked him if he'd do it, or emailed him or something. I but, guess so. Yeah, and, some operating costs are still there. So yeah, but he went out to do that live stream. It's a testament to the milestone and all that it stands for. That someone of Mike Watt's stature would come out, uh, do a live stream to help support it. Yeah, just uh, playing bass and singing the songs, man. That was badass. That was awesome. I loved it. And yeah. I, I just saw him in October in Asheville, and I've seen him several times now. But um, Man, he was so good. It was uh, Mike Watt and the Missing Men, which I've seen that combination a couple of times. Except this time, yeah. his usual drummer wasn't on tour with him, so he had this kid playing drums with him. I say kid, he's probably about 24. Um, 
He's so, so good. And it was like mostly just Minutemen songs. And he played a couple Stooges songs. And he played a, you know, the Red and the Black by Blue Oyster Cult. And he played, uh, yeah. I can't remember what else he played. He played, he played, you know, a handful of covers, but it was mostly Minutemen songs. It was just so good. So good. That's awesome. That guy just, he's amazing. <laughs> he's my, he's my favorite of all time. Not, not, not just my favorite bass player. He's like my favorite musician of all time. He's just so good. And such a cool guy. Yeah. Hope everything clears up for too long because I mean, not only is all this taking a toll on bands like. There's, there's a lot of optimism going on right now about, you know, we've obviously talked a little bit about it. Hopefully yeah. more people will be out after this. Hopefully more people will be buying more stuff from bands and supporting more. But at the same time, it's, it's taking a lot away from us. I'm sure there are a lot oh, of bands that yeah. are just breaking up right now because, you know, you get to a certain point in your music where you practice a lot. You're in your wheelhouse. If you take a few months off, you might not be there anymore. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I worry about you have that. You learn new songs, but also like John Prine, man. Mm. Like losing John Prine, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, you know? he's up there with town fans and Bob Dylan in terms of songwriters, American songwriters. And, uh, who knows who else is going to go before this is all over? Yeah. A lot of those old guard guys are the guys that keep up the touring industry for rock for us. Without a Bruce Springsteen, how many? big New Jersey opening, you know, rock bands are going to get out there and be able to tour in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. That's, that's the meal ticket, the way to get your name out there. So I worry about that. Like the, the people that we, you know, like you said, we've already lost and the people that we may lose. And then also worry about like just the, the venues and things like that. Now, you know, and we talk about the, the venues that support the scene places like repo record as well. But now I've talked to Jimmy and I think he's, he's okay. You know, at Tommy's, they seem to be pretty optimistic about everything. I think the milestones in a good position right now to where they they should be okay when this all comes back. But yeah. I, st- I still worry about the long term impact of this, whether some of these places will make it out on the other side, and, and yeah. you know exactly what it's going to be like on the other side. Is the consumer confidence going to be there for them to even su- to support themselves once everything does open back up? And just way too many unknowns about all this, but ultimately I'm, I'm optimistic that on the other side of it, that maybe as, as a people in this country, maybe we were a little bit less divided. Although as of right now, you wouldn't like convince me of that because <laughs> I, I think right now people are getting a little bit more divided in certain ways, but I, I think on the other side of this, maybe we'll all be a little less divided. It'll be a better place. The world will be a little bit of a better place, and maybe the music scene will be a better place too, as long as we still have places that we can play. I hope so. You know, because I mean, the other possibility is it gets a lot worse. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's probably just as possible. I mean, that, you know, because you got people like like my brother who tends to think that once this is all over with, people aren't going to want to go out anymore. That people are going to be like ready to stay at home and, and not trust the world anymore. And, and that's going to be a vastly different place in that regard. And I'm like, man, I certainly hope not. I mean, for a lot of things, like for instance, automation, this is a perfect time because mm-hmm. so many workers can't work. So many businesses are like, we've got the loans. We're going to put our money into automation. 
people keep saying, like Ray Kurzweil and other technologists, that within 20 years, you know, 30 to 50 percent of the American workforce is going to be replaced by automation. New forms of labor will probably open up, but this might just force a lot of the world to have UBI and things like that, universal basic income, yeah. just because there won't be enough jobs, you know. So who knows, man? That would be a good outcome, but also a bad one for a long time. Cause, yeah, uh, it's going to be a long time where people struggle. Yeah, but I think about that. Like you know, this is getting really, really deep into that. But you think about the number of jobs that will be left after automation, and maybe we'll go <laughs> to more to a society where we nobody works full time. Nobody works forty hours anymore. We all work like a yeah. you know half of that, and That's and it. you get that like you said that UBI or something like that that helps support the rest of that time. Or, you know, you just yeah. make much better money for the 15 hours that you work that week or whatever. There are so many companies that make money off of your personal information online, mm-hmm. that make money off of your ad revenue based on your views of online websites. There are companies that, you know, the entire service industry makes money secondhand. It's not producing, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of, like, creating a product. It's just selling products that other people have created in a factory somewhere, or a machine could create in a factory somewhere or on a factory farm. Yeah. So more and more, I think the idea that you should be paid for labor is becoming a little bit uh, maybe outdated. You know, yeah. you may should be paid for being a consumer who is manipulated and exploited in yeah. terms of everything else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. We're going to take all your physical data. We're tracking all your phone calls and all that. So because of all of this information you give us that businesses like and pay us for, we're just going to pay you yeah. to uh, <laughs> just you know buy stuff and uh, have a self-replicating. Um, it's, it's crazy to think about, but I guess it it's is, possible. But, but it's possible. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's a crazy world we live in, so... <laughs> I know there's some yeah. people that wouldn't that don't like that idea at all because they feel like if you don't work hard you shouldn't you shouldn't get more money. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You you, you find a way to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop them. They can go out and work and get money if they want it. Yeah. <laughs> you can work your ass off. Go ahead. Go right ahead. We're we're, we're cool with that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, it's funny though. Is there anything else you can think of you want to talk about? I mean, because this episode will be all over the place, but I kind of like that. Yeah. I knew this one would be a little bit different because you don't have as much of a history in, in the exactly. scene. I'm not sure. Um, keep abreast of what's going on. Personally, with Barn Heist, we will be back in the fall or in the winter. Keep an eye out for Buffalo Bill Cody, solo record. And if you're not a member yet, go ahead and join the Garage Gods of Charlotte. To get more information about garage rock, psych rock, garage punk, from all the way from the 1960s to now. Right now, our featured artist is the Paragons from the 60s. Go and check them out for their awesome single, ABBA. And next month's feature will be Self Made Monsters, my favorite North Carolina band. I hope you go and talk to Eddie Ford, talk to them on their Facebook page, order those CDs, get them. They are some of the best recordings I've ever heard out of North Carolina, flat duo jets included. Yeah, they're badass. I, although I, I'm, I'm going to say uh, I'll put flat duo jets above that, but that's that's personal preference. <laughs> but they 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 are badass for sure. And that's the Garage Gods of Charlotte. That's T H E E 
and then the yep. uh, the gods is a Z, and the of is an O V. Yep, yep. <laughs> Figure all it's that all out. It's all fucked up, but <laughs> you'll find it. You'll find it. It's linked to the Boomerang Heist page. It's also linked to my page. So yeah. you should be able to find it. And thank you for having me on, man. Well, thank you for fun talking. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, and I, I look forward to editing this one. This is this will probably come out. <laughs> Shut up and go 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 I can't say no Get off the floor Gotta get more Shut up and go 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 I can't say no Get off the floor Gotta get more My diamonds in the rough And I had enough Gotta break down the cage And I need more room to reach My diamonds in the rough And I had enough Gotta break down the cage And I need more to rage And go Shut up and go Shut up and go Shut up and go Shut up and go I can't say no Get off the floor Gotta get more Shut up and go I can't say no Get off the floor Get up and go The diamonds in the rough And I had enough Gotta break down the cage And I need more room to rage The diamonds in the rough And I had enough Gotta break down the cage And I need more room to rage there's a chance that, that in the next month or so I might at least be able to go to Repo Record and shop and, and, and run into some people I know or be like, hey, let's That's all meet up at Repo and go record shopping. <laughs> we can't yeah. see the show right now, but we can shop for records together. This has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt Media Production.